We've been looking at the book of Galatians and been in chapter five here recently. And so we're going to finish the little section we've been on. We've you know, looked at the first little bit of chapter five, like the first six verses, and then worked our way down to verse 12. And today, I think we're only going to get um, like three more verses in. So we're going to look at verse 13 and 15. Um, but since it kind of, so 13 and 15 are kind of in the middle. So some authors and most of our, our translations will have those verses uh, connected with the first few. Um, so it's verse one all the way to verse 15. But 13 to 15 is another one of Paul's kind of transitions. So it fits in both. It, it almost can connect us right into verse 16. Um, but we're just going to kind of look at it separately. Um, but to get us to it, I, I'm going to read just where we are so far in verse five. And we're going to read verse one all the way down through verse 15. Okay. Of Galatians chapter five. And here's what Paul wrote. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who have, would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven, lump, uh, little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another morning vicky so paul ends this little section of chapter 5 with this moving into freedom and from freedom into love, right? You know, we talked a little bit the last few days about faith and it produces hope, produces love. And um, so Paul is speaking to the reader or the hearer in those days, they would have listened to the word being spoken, um, which is, by the way, a great exercise. If you've never listened to an audio Bible, just to sit down and listen to it sometime. You know, that's the way the letters were written. The Old Testament, all of it was written to be spoken audibly. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Pat. So Paul is urging the reader and hearer to exercise their newfound freedom responsibly. So, you know, freedom is not a, a, a commodity that's obtained and stored for a later day, for a rainy day. It's a gift. 
It's a gift that's given with him, which increases its value in the using. And it can be lost in the misuse, right? We can we can lose the benefit of our freedom when we fall back into something like we talked about with circumcision of the law, the, the dates and all the different stuff that they were saying you had to do, Christ and, and not just Christ alone. You know, kind of summarizing this whole para, you know, paragraph leading to the next is this freedom means loving service of neighbors. That's what Paul is getting at. And then in the next section, and we'll start looking at more tomorrow, is this idea that then it's the spirit. The spirit is the mode and the power to help us live the life of love and freedom. That love, you could say Paul is saying love is not necessarily the new law. It's an expression of true freedom. It's not a law. It's a freedom, but it's the expression that love is the outflowing of true freedom. And it comes from the fruit of the spirit. Good morning, Tammy. So it's a, you know, this passage is, is very often used. Um, you know, we talk about love your neighbor as yourself. There, there was a quote that I want to read. And sorry, I didn't have it up here already. Um, let me find it. I highlighted this morning something I read. So here, here is a, a quote that had to do with this idea of freedom and love um, by someone by the name of Jacques, um, French, you know, Jacques, E-L-L-U-L. But it's in a book called The Ethics of Freedom. And it says this, the glorious liberty of the children of God is not the happy fluttering of a butterfly from one attractive flower to another. It is joyous, but it is also radical, hard, and absolute, giving us burden, giving us our burden. God launches us into an unexpected adventure, a conflict, which is finally that of freedom. Some different words in there. Good morning, Mallory. You know, when you think about love and freedom, we don't, we don't often think about radical, hard, and absolutes or an unexpected adventure of a conflict, which is finally that of freedom, right? The conflict of freedom, the, the conflict of what it ought to be. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about extremes, you know, how you can go from one extreme of a belief to another extreme of the belief. And what Paul is doing here is he's just spent time looking at, okay, I preach Christ and him crucified. And there's a group that's taking it to a far extreme of Christ and Christ and the law, Christ and circumcision and going back to this and, and, and trying to pull you away. And he goes, but be careful because we've seen it, haven't we? Especially in like a holiness movement. Some of the things that we, we, we have fought against, but we fight against typically the prevalence to go extremely to the other end. And use our freedom to do whatever we want to do. That there's no holiness under the Lord. There's no desire to live a life above reproach. There's no looking different than those around us in the world. And so Paul's now turning to this other end, this group of Galatians who are probably, you know, there was probably some arguing his, you know, it doesn't say that beforehand, but there had to be individuals in the Galatia church that were looking at it from Paul's angle and already arguing that and butting heads with 
fighting with, you get that picture right at the end of that verse, uh, you know, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So they were butting heads over this belief. You know, it's that many scalps are laid at the feet of this argument type idea, right? Good morning, Robin. And so they're going from the extremes of fully under, you know, being under the law to I'm so completely free that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And here's the downfall with that idea. So think about it this way. They've forgotten the freedom that's found in Christ in his death. And so well, let, let me explain what that freedom kind of looks like first, and then we'll look at some of the downfall, because there's there's cheap grace. We've used the term cheap grace a few times, and I, I want to explain that a little bit. But so this freedom is found in what Christ did when he died and when he rose again for us. It's, you know, and so to act in freedom is to be guided by the one, the ones whose real needs are to be served, right? So to act in freedom is to serve those who have a need. Good morning, Ray. To act in freedom is not just for our own benefit, but to serve others, to reach out to others. Good morning, Jennifer. You know, freedom doesn't create debt. So often, you might be free to give. We see it often in our culture. So the American culture is a culture of give and receive, right? If I send you a gift, you are obligated to send me a thank you note, right? I, I, that's our culture we live in. Um, I've heard people say, well, I sent them a graduation gift and they never sent me a thank you. So I'm not going to give them anything. You know, we, we expect it. So is there really freedom in giving when there's a debt involved? Is there really freedom in giving when we expect something in return? You know, we live in a culture that tries to outgive one another. Well, they gave me a $10 gift card, so I'm going to give them 20. Uh, and they gave it to me to Walmart, so I'll upgrade it and go to Target, right? I mean, you know, we we constantly are trying to one up somebody and that's a little bit of just that american culture we live in it's something that's ingrained in us you know other cultures they seek to outserve in the fact that they want to give that the person who is honored in their culture is the one you give to they aren't expected to give anything back it's just they're giving it to them because of who they are and you know don't steal a blessing by not taking it that's a um one of my favorite uh, memories is a trip to Sierra Leone when um, we went to a village and they gave us a chicken. Um, and then we went to the village that my church was representing and they gave us a goat and a chicken. So what happens that night? Uh, well, number one, we ate well uh, the next night, but uh, that's a different story, right? But what happened that night was, well, your church, they, your village gave you more than they gave our church. Wow, they must not have really appreciated because we begin to judge based on the gift. And then there's a debt involved. Maybe we could say that in our walk as we're, we're helping neighbors and we expect them to come to church just because we help them. 
then there's a mean, there, there's a means behind why we give, right? It, it, maybe that's a good way to say it. When we give and we expect something in return, you know, we don't give of Christ's love expecting everybody that we meet and give to, to automatically just be, you know, fall on their knees and accept Jesus Christ and start coming to church every single day. That's, it's not the reason we share God's love. We share God's love just to be weird, <laughs> to be different, to be countercultural, but not to expect a debt. You know, let, let's put that into the relationship of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. You can almost see that parallel in what Paul's saying in, in this illustration because Jesus Christ died on the cross. There's nothing we do to earn that. There's nothing we do to pay that back. There's nothing I can ever do to pay back the glorious work that he paid for us on the cross. I don't have to. That freedom of that gift does not require a debt, right? Our debt is paid. Yeah, you're right, Katie. Sometimes we don't even want to feel receive the gift because then we do feel like we're in debt to them. Exactly. It's the... Uh, um, maybe this isn't a good illustration for a pastor to use, but you know, the Godfather movies, you know, he gave the painted the picture of uh, the mafia and uh, it's that idea of, you know, Oh, Don Corleone, I have a favor to ask. And he goes, you know, he listens and he goes at one time, sometime I will come to you and ask you to do something for me. No questions asked. Is that understood? Right. You know, because there's a debt, there's a, debt. And you're right, Sharon. Many of us, we don't give because we expect anything back, but it's that understanding of that culture. And that's the beauty of what Paul's saying about the freedom of Christ is there's no debt. There's no debt. There's no under the table expectation that in our freedom, that somebody else owes us something because of that. You know, free people don't overvalue their own moral decisions and contributions. In other words, they don't lack humility. Freedom is like knowledge, right? It just puffs up if not careful. Freedom can cause us to think that we're better than others who maybe aren't in that freedom. You know, in a minute, we're going to talk more about loving one another, but I want to, I want to connect that real quick because you think about that. When we overvalue our freedom and somebody else comes to us with a need and a concern, even a believer in the church who hasn't yet found that same freedom. So let's say freedom from fear. That's a big one right now. So just because I don't walk around with fear and anxiety because of all the unknowns that are going on right now, doesn't mean that I don't sit on a call and when I listen to other people who are fearful, it doesn't mean that I look down on them and start to judge them because it's easy to do that, right? And say, well, they're just living in fear. How, I mean, come on, they ought to lead through this. But it could be easy to do that because I have found freedom from fear and anxiety, but I don't find that so that I can put my value or my confidence as higher than theirs. 
because God is probably working on them in ways that he hasn't worked on me or maybe didn't need to. You know, we sat in a call yesterday with um, our district pastors and we talked about what it will look like when we reopen and when could we reopen and some of those things. And let me just say there were people all over the gambit. There are some right now who it's, I don't care what the governor's order is. I I see the loophole and I'm going to jump on it. I don't care what public perception is. I don't care any of that. And I want to open up next week. And that would be fine if there's hand sanitizer, you know, all the safety precautions, but they, they aren't even ready to take any of those. They just want to jump in. And then there's the other end who are on that call who until the governor says that we are completely, everything is lifted and we're back to being able to meet and, and full numbers, there's no restrictions. Even if that means next year, we are not meeting as a church. Uh, again, you know, this is where I like to find balance, right? Um, between running into opening, but also not waiting until everything is lifted because that may not happen for quite a long time. And so believe me, there's a lot of conversation going on right now. And I'll say right now, if I had my way, we would be opening in the next week or two. Um, And based on where some things are with the government, government, we might be able to by the end of this month, first of next. I don't know. I'm not trying to speak into that or get anybody's hopes up. But those are the those are the balances that in the freedom. What I loved about it, though, was there were some that were really at each other's throats. But at the end of it, one of them who really was at others throats kind of stood up, pulled out Acts 15, where it sounded like people were really, really arguing. But then they left an agreement and they left. We left with that agreement of we want God to be glorified through it, whether we're open right away. Or whether we wait June, July. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we were to wait all the way till the the stay-at-home orders and some of those restrictions were all lifted. And so the 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 what I'm saying is, some of us might have freedom. We we are in a county that's completely different than some of my brothers and sisters who are preaching in Cleveland, where individuals in their church have had this virus family members have had this virus it is it's a reality for them we are in ashtabula county where yeah 160 some people have been tested positive for it and only 17 have passed away and that's very and i do not downplay that hear me because we know family members of people in our church who are at a nursing home right now in Saybrook that is struggling to defeat this. And so I do not put any lightened amount on our 17 because every 17, every face has a family, every face has a name. But what I'm saying is we aren't in a county that's had hundreds upon hundreds of deaths. And that, you know, there you go. Jen, Jennifer, um, we're praying for Brian for sure, but even that right there is a reason why we have to be careful because we don't want anyone in our church. We don't want to open up so quickly that then we end up having to close because someone gets sick. 
someone who might be susceptible because they're going through treatments. And now I, I've had conversations with Jen, with you, Jennifer, and you know, you guys are really not looking to come back during this time, you know, looking to do online and that type of stuff for your safety. And, and we appreciate that, but not all of our folks think about that, right? Um, we, we have some individuals who will come rushing back. But anyway, so I'm kind of getting off on a tangent when it comes to that. Um, but the freedom, I reminded of Mark 10 when Jesus said, Mark 10, 42 and on, it's kind of basically, you know, to be great, you must be a servant of all. That's what freedom does for us is it makes us want to love others and want to serve others in a new way. We find freedom to serve like so many others, like, you know, Moses and the Israelites, they were given freedom to serve God, freedom from Egypt so that they could serve God more. You know, what Paul is speaking to here, a big term, and it's this, it's called um, antinomianism, antinomianism, anti, I can't pronounce it, antinomianism, I think is how you pronounce it. But it's a big word, and basically it means that it's this idea that freedom from the law meant that you were released from all moral restraints. No, I mean, because after all, who the sun sets free, he's free indeed, right? I mean, we, we, we can overuse that statement sometimes. I'm not free in the fact of going out and living however I want, because I'm free to what? To be a slave to righteousness. I am free to be a slave to the will of my master, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what I'm free to. You know, Christian liberty is a great blessing, but it's also a solemn responsibility. That's the message of the Holiness Church. We believe that we are given freedom so that we can live a life of marked difference. Because he that is wounded, he and she that are wounded, walk with a limp. We walk with a limp. And so this idea of when we don't live that way, when we live under this idea that we have no moral restraints, because, I mean, we're free indeed, we begin to cheapen the grace of God. Cheap grace says moral rules, Ten Commandments, they don't matter. To a far extreme of this, sin doesn't matter because God likes to give grace. And as long as I ask for forgiveness every single time, then it's okay. In fact, I'm showing the, the beauty of God's grace more and more. <sighs> I give more opportunity for God to show his grace. That's what cheap grace says. Cheap grace becomes an excuse to live However, my fleshly desires decide, my selfish nature, instead of being marked, markedly different, understanding the solemn responsibility, because the reason why so many people, uh, I think it was Chuck Colson who one time said, you know, the biggest uh, cause of atheism in the world is Christians who go to church and walk out and deny him with their lifestyle. Right? They speak Christ and then deny with their lifestyle. There's no solemn responsibility to the grace they've been given. 
And so many turn from the church because of that, because of that underlying belief. But but here's, here's the issue. Our liberty, our freedom, it's based on love, right? Serving one another is love. Is cheap grace true salvation? Man, that's a great question. And yes, I think, I, I do think, there are individuals who have not fully, you know, I, I can't say where the line is of somebody who finally walks away, who sins. I don't believe you can sin so much that God won't forgive you. OK, um, uh, be careful. I don't want to um, sound off on, on one end of it. Right. You know, grace is costly. You're right. Jesus gave us everything. And so therefore, there should be some responsibility. And when we live like there's no responsibility does there come a time that our heart becomes so calloused that we stop asking forgiveness when we live that way? And, and when we don't understand cheap grace, which that is based on love, I, I think here's, here's another part of that cheap grace that maybe plays out in our lives. So we don't serve one another because we don't love one another. You know, the law said, summarized, was love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the question. Do you truly love yourself? Okay, now I'm not, I'm not talking selfishness, because that is a, a form of love, right? But in truly learning to love God, we truly learn to love ourselves. We understand the grace and therefore our freedom becomes that solemn responsibility when we begin to understand when we, when we are overcome with awe and wonder for what Jesus Christ did for us, for the atoning work, the justification, the atonement, the adoption, that all of those things, for the assurance that we can have, for the work of God, who Jesus was not plan B, but it was plan A from the very beginning, that he was working towards this, revealing himself all for us. When we understand that truly, then the question is, you well, the, 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 the result is we begin to learn to love ourselves. But I often think we don't truly love our neighbors because... Well, we don't really love ourselves that much, do we? We see our flaws. We see our failures. And instead of in humility grasping hold of that woundedness, right? Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life after wrestling with God. Because in our weakness, we're made strong. In the freedom, we have the ability to go forward and say, folks, I am struggling with this. You know, in our church one Sunday, we had an individual who came up who just felt like they needed to share it. God was putting on their heart. They needed to share that they had been struggling with, with pornography and lust. And you know what happened within a day or two? I received a comment, a, a message from somebody who went to a life group from our church. And that was the comment of discussion. And it wasn't a discussion and, oh, wasn't that awesome that they did that? It was a discussion of, I can't believe they did that. I mean, they went up forward and they, because we don't love ourselves enough to be open and honest 
because in my weaknesses, he is made strong. You know, that's why every Sunday, I, like I've said, I, I'm, I don't have a big issue with fear and anxiety. Depression isn't one of my biggest issues. There have been, there are times that I am solemn. There are times that I am inward, in, in just kind of caught in my own mind. And I do get a little down. It's, it's stress for me. Um, it doesn't, I've not had severe depression. I've never been clinically depressed. And I know many who have. And so I am very careful when I preach about what God can do to also pull in that line and say, but I understand some of you can't see that because of where you are. And yes, there are days through this that I'm in my head. And I want to make sure that I share that on Sundays because I want people to hear it. I want people to see that I'm weak too during this time, this time of isolation, that I struggle too with wanting to open up that church every single day because I don't like being away from the fellowship. I want people to see those weaknesses. I want people to hear the, the times where I'm struggling with something. because I want them to see the work of God's grace. But we live in a culture that self-worth isn't always well received. We don't think very highly of ourselves sometimes. And so my challenge in all this, all of this rambling, what I think really Paul is speaking here to the Galatians is spend time in God's word, dig into who he says you are, the promises of who you are, and not just in faith in Jesus, but begin in faith to accept who he says you are. You are children of the king. You are heirs to the throne. You are dearly loved of God. And when you begin to accept that, you begin to learn to love others more and more and more. But we must love others as we love ourselves. And when we don't love ourselves well, We have a hard time loving others. Yeah, Sharon, Psalms 33 is such a great psalm of his steadfast love. Remember the word chased, chased, right? Um, chased is that unending, undeserving. And when we look into that, that steadfast love, doesn't waver when we sin. It doesn't waver when we have to come back for forgiveness. It's always there for us. Not so that we can use that freedom to lord it over others. Not so we can use that freedom to look down on others who maybe don't feel free in the same way. Right? I mean, take all of what Paul said in context. Remember, go back to 1 Corinthians 8 when he talked about meat sacrificed to idols and said, hey, I could eat it. But if it causes somebody to, uh, to stumble, I will never eat meat again. Not just that meat, but any meat. I'm done with it.
that loving others more than we love our own freedom, that's the sign of the limp that comes with the grace, the costly grace that Jesus gave to us. We walk in a limp during the winter months. Heard a great conversation I don't have time to go into right now. Um, Peter Scazzerzo wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and has a podcast. And one of his recent ones, he talked through the seasons that we are in, um, pointing back to Ecclesiastes, but talking to seasons. And, you know, this time of pandemic is a winter season. It's a grieving. It's a death. Typically, you have a fall that prepares you for it. And we didn't have that. We went right into grieving and death. But without grieving and death in winter, you can't have spring. You can't see growth. And so when you experience those times of deep anxiety, deep fear, deep depression, know that it might be a winter month and God is growing you closer to reliance on him. All right. So I said it even so I said, it, though I said I didn't have time. Let me close us in prayer. We've gone over our time a bit here. God, I love you and I thank you for what you're doing. May we just be overwhelmed with the cost of the grace given to us for our freedom, for our liberty. We so often in our culture talk about the countless people who have served and died, but we don't often fully grasp that in our spiritual freedom. We seek to be reminded of it in our earthly freedom and through the Memorial Day that's coming up and through Veterans Day and those type of things. But God, we maybe we need a system and a holiday. Oh, wait, that's Easter. <laughs> you know, we need to be reminded of the grace that you gave us. We need to spend more time on Good Friday than we do on Easter. We need to spend more time remembering the pain and the suffering that you paid for our grace. We need to spend more time in your word reading of your persecution, of your being outcast, nearly stoned to death, so many things, turned on by your own family, by your own disciples, given up to be crucified, beat, bruised tortured, and crucified just to purchase our grace, our freedom, our justification and atonement and adoption. So God, we thank you for that. May we not take this grace lightly. May we see the solemn responsibility we have to live lives marked by our woundedness. So that in our weakness, being honest about our weakness, you can be strong. Lord, teach us to love you more and to love others more. As only we can do when you work through us. May we learn to be servants of all and not just servants of self. God, I love you and I praise you for what you are doing in your kingdom, for your glory, for your strength, and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.